Today we're going to continue in our, our backstage series, and today we're talking about the, the church called to, to overcome. And, and let me tell you what I, what I want to, I have a lot on my heart this morning, and I, want, I, I hope you're ready, and I, I, there's going to be, I'm going to go ahead and tell you right out of the gate, there's going to be some things I say today that you may not hear. I've, all, I've said many times, there's, there's two sermons that is preached every Sunday at Clearview, the one I preached and the one you thought you heard. All right, uh, that's the truth. It's the one you thought. So that's why we praise God. We've got YouTube and podcasts, and you can go back and listen. But but I will tell you, I'm going to say some things this morning, and I really hope that you get a chance to to hear clearly what I'm saying. I really do believe that in today's world, when it comes to the church, I really do wonder sometimes if maybe we think as Christians that Jesus was maybe just joking when it comes to our faith costing our very lives. You know, the more I read the New Testament and the more I go through the Gospels, constantly Jesus is talking about literally dying for what you believe. But I don't think the Christian church has heard it. I, I don't. I think sometimes we've heard it over the centuries, but I don't know that we hear it right now. I think if you look back across America... One of the, the, and especially in the last maybe 20 years, one of the things I see across the American landscape, and I'm not really talking so much in the church. I mean, it's in the church too, but I, I just hear it. I hear it on the news. I hear it in the way people talk in the stores. I hear it in the way people talk to each other. I hear it even in the way sometimes Christians pray. And one of the things that I really do believe that has captured America in one way is fear of harm. We, we, are, we are a society that is becoming increasingly afraid all the time. It, it, you see it everywhere you go. The anxiety is, is maybe, maybe, and I would have to look at the numbers. I guess it would be hard to qualify in, in, with, with statistics, but I can't imagine any other time in society when more people are on anxiety medication than right now today. There are people that have legitimate fears. Some people are on anxiety medication because they have to have it. It is a real thing, and if you are, I mean, I understand. But I'm not just talking about medication. I'm talking about a, a mindset of fear. People are just afraid all everywhere you go. I even hear it in the way Christians pray over missionaries. They pray over missionaries all the time that God keeps them safe. When the Bible says you may have to give it up for the glory of the name of God. I don't want harm to come to anybody. Don't read into that. I'm not saying that. I'm not a crazy man. I don't want to walk into some, you know, violent issue across the globe just, just to, you know, live out on a limb and call myself bold and courageous. God gives you a mind. Sometimes your best weapon is your feet. Run, you know. That's your best weapon a lot of times. But, but the truth is, I think we're afraid all the time. In fact, I, I think one of the things that I've seen across the American landscape is what I would just call the absence of grit. Americans just don't seem to have the grit that they used to have. And I, don't, I can't tell you exactly why that is, but it is something that I see. I see it in our Christian music all the time. You know, if you look at even a lot, Alexis and I have this conversation, Zach and I have this conversation often. If you look at a lot of Christian music over the last, especially the last 10 years, what you hear a lot is God is there for me when I have a bad day. He calms all my fears. We talk a lot about the Lion of Judah, but I really do wonder if we understand that lions roar and eat things and they tear things up. But we 
We are comfortable with the Lamb of God. But there's a line of Judah that we worship. And on that landscape of our nation, I think right now, especially you see panic, you see fear, you see anger, you see confusion. And it made me think about the the quote from A.W. Tozier, that famous theologian. Tozier said this, a scared world needs a fearless church. A scared world needs a fearless church. And our world, more than any other time, maybe in a long time, needs a fearless church. So today we're going to talk about a church who is in upheaval. This church was in a context of a lot of chaos and a lot of persecution. I want you to turn to the very last book of the Bible, Revelation. Very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 2. Go to the very end, the Revelation of John chapter 2. Now, if you, if you happen to not have a Bible, and boy, I hope you do, but if you don't have a Bible, we're going to put it on the screen, especially for those of you at home today. And this is what Paul said, oh, excuse me, what uh, John said to the, to the church at Smyrna, and Christ had spoken to him, so he's, he's repeating the words of Jesus. John's on the island of Patmos. He's been, by the way, you may not know this, John is, on, John is writing this from the island of Patmos, and he's been sent there as a prison. Yes, it's an island, but that was his doom. He was sent there as a sentence for preaching the gospel. So verse 8, it says, To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The first and the last, he who was dead and has come to life, says this, I know your tribulation. Now he's speaking to a church now, just like Clearview. I know your tribulation. And I know your poverty, but you're rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and they are not. They are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you'll be tested and you'll have tribulation for 10 days. Look how specific that is. Be faithful unto death and I'll give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. You know, the church at Ephesus that we talked about just last week, they were challenged and and actually told to repent because they had lost their first love. The challenge here, actually, Jesus has nothing against. It's one of two churches in the seven churches, one of two churches that Jesus has no charge against them. What he only says is overcome, overcome, Overcome. So if we can take away anything from the church at Smyrna, I would say this, that overcoming demands ownership. Write that down if you're taking notes. Overcoming demands ownership. Jesus has called them to overcome. Let me give you the basic situation of what's going on right here. Historical evidence has shown that, that the church at Smyrna was facing a lot of persecution. The, the government, the, the, they were, notice that Jesus mentioned in, um, in verse 9, there are those that say they are, of this, they are of Jews, but they're not. What was going on was that there were Jews and Christians and Jews, from government's sake, many governments didn't really see a whole lot of difference between Christians and Jews, even though there was a lot of difference. But Christians were somewhat lumped in with the greater religious people. But what had begun to happen was Jews had become to align more and more at the church in, in this context with Smyrna, there there were many that were aligning more with pacifying the government, and they were beginning to single out Christians. So now it was was harder not that Christians were hiding, but just imagine that umbrella was kind of covering Christians, and as, as Jews began to align more politically with what was kosher and what was actually good and what was actually pop culture in that day, if you will, 
What was beginning to happen right there was now Christians were being exposed politically in society. So what happens in that situation is Christians can't hide anymore. And they begin to be boycotted. Some begin to be persecuted. Some begin to fear for their lives. Businesses, there's historical evidence to show that businesses were infringed upon. I mean, it, it's, it's modern day stuff. So what do we have to say about that when it comes to overcoming demanding ownership? I would say when you look at the, the church at Smyrna, what we find about what Jesus says is that Jesus is the power for our situation. Let me tell you, we're going to break this, we're going to walk this verse by verse in this morning. Look at what it says there in verse, verse 8. I am the first and the last, he who was dead and has come to life. Let me tell you why, why Jesus said that to him. Are you ready? This is why Jesus is telling them. He's reminding them of exactly who he is. I have got this under control. I have the power that you need. I have got everything you need. It reminded me of 2 Peter chapter 1. I love this verse. 2 Peter chapter 1 says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Your Bible might even say everything we need. You know what that verse is saying right there, don't you? That you have every tool you need to meet the challenge that Christ has given you those tools. You've got what you need, Christian. Are you hearing me this morning? You've got what you need to face a a culture and a society where you're going to have to overcome. You've got what you need. You've got to put it into play, but you've got what you need. So he's reminding them that he is the power and that he sent the power. What did Jesus tell us? What did he tell us in the book of Acts when the ascension was happening? He said, you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. He's not going to leave us without tools to get the job done. Jesus, Jesus is the power for our situation. But Jesus is also ahead of our situation. This is pretty simple. But I want to tell you something that really blessed me, honestly. That's a church word, I guess. but, But one of the things that really touched my heart was in verse 9. Look at what Jesus said there. He said, I know you're... Now, I want you to look at... By the way, I want you to look at how specific Jesus is. This is incredibly specific stuff. He said, I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. But you're actually rich. I know that those, there are those blasphemy who, who are blaspheming against you. But they're the synagogue of Satan. Look in verse 10. He says to them... Don't fear what you're about to suffer. The devil's going to cast some of you into prison. You'll be tested, and you'll have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. Don't don't you find it interesting that Jesus is super specifically aware of their church? He is super specifically aware of their church. In verse 9, when he says, I know how it looks, that's what he's saying, I know how it looks, y'all. I know how it looks. It looks like you're poor, but you're not. That that word rich there is a word that means fully resourced. You've got all the stuff in your toolbox. You've got all the money in your bank account. You've got all the spiritual leverage. You've got all the physical leverage. You've got what you need. And in verse 10, he says, I know what you're dealing with. What I love about this is that Jesus is involved. He's involved. He's not only involved, he's ahead of it. He he loves them so much, he's telling them what's about to happen. He says, you're going to be put in prison. It's okay. You may even die there. It's okay. It's okay. Be faithful, even if you die. Our very image 
that is stamped on all sorts of Christian living for centuries is a cross. Many people wear it as jewelry. It is an instrument of death. It was not something that anybody liked. It was not something that anybody wanted. It would be the modern-day equivalent of walking around with an electric chair. It was something that people died in. Jesus said, take that up, take up your cross. He said, I know, I know. They're going to have persecution. So I would say to you, Christian friend, that in times of persecution, in seasons of persecution, there are two key truths I would share with you because you're called to overcome. You're called to overcome. And overcoming demands ownership of your faith. You've got to have ownership of your faith. So in, in times of persecution, I would say two things. One, I would say it should be expected. I don't think that we really believe that. I really don't. There's nothing wrong with wanting a good life. I mean, come on, who doesn't? I mean, I don't want life to get hard on me. My HVAC goes out, I'm complaining. You know, I don't want life to be hard. I don't want to have, you know, this is the whole COVID thing. I've been wondering, you know, this wasn't even like a stomach virus. What, what, what's up with the toilet paper thing? I don't even, I don't even understand that. At least be consistent. But, you know, I don't, I don't like inconveniences. And I'm going to tell you, friends, listen to me, students. Those of you in middle school, those of you in high school, listen to me, parents. Listen to me, businessmen and businesswomen. Listen to me, people who are retired. Listen to me, grandparents. If you're going to follow Jesus, you better put your boots on. Because it's coming. I don't think we believe him. It's coming. It's been coming. It's been happening. And it's only going to get worse. Read the last book. We win. But not without a fight. You should be expected. But I'll also tell you what persecution does. Persecution... It'll separate the righteous from the religious. You see, there's something purifying about persecution. It'll separate the sheep from the goats. There's something purifying about... Jesus talks a lot in the Scriptures. Paul talks about it. Peter talks about it. That in those last days... People will be exposed who were, who were saying they were followers of Christ. But I want to tell you something. All you got to do is start persecuting people to find out those who, that really own it. Because ownership is what has to happen to overcome. Overcoming demands ownership. And you know what I've learned about ownership? You cannot take persecution for something that you don't own. You won't do it. You won't be persecuted for something you don't own. Ownership is what's called for here, and overcoming demands ownership. Jesus is telling us, you're going to have to own it. You're going to have to own it. And one of the questions that I've asked myself many times is, what, what is the reason, what is the reason that, that we don't see the Christian church persecuted more why is it that do we not see persecution in America for Christians? Well, I've got some words for that. And I wrote them down. 
It's very rare that I read anything in my sermon. Some guys preach from a manuscript. I just never have. It's not good or bad. I just don't, it's not the way I do it. But we live in a politically charged environment, and right now we're in a politically and a socially charged environment. So I spent days working through this. I prayed over it a lot. I went back and I would edit, and I went back and I would edit, and I would go back and I would edit. And I believe there's a word from the Lord today. And so, you know, I'm going to say, there's a, in verse 11 of, of Smyrna, Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Do you know how often Jesus said that? It's all over the Gospels. You know, sometimes we hear, but we don't listen. When do we do it? I've done that. And I'm going to tell you before I say this to you that I'm pretty passionate about it. Don't mistake my volume or my passion for anger. It's not. It's not anger. I tell my, I've been coaching football in this town for a decade. I tell parents all the time, just because I'm speaking loudly to your kid doesn't mean I'm mad at your kid. I've got 24 seconds to tell them. I can't walk out on the football field and go, I just love your hair. You're such a sweet boy. You got awesome cleats. No, I got 24 seconds to say, stop doing that. Go do your, you know. And, and there's parents screaming and taking photos and whistles and there's games on the next field and games on that field. And I said, I had to talk loud so they could hear me. So I'm going to read this now. I really don't think Christians today believe Jesus is serious. I just said that. That's in the introduction. Let me get down to the bottom. Sorry. Got a little ahead of myself. Here we go. I'm 47 years old, and I've never seen a nation in as much panic and confusion and turmoil as I have right now. I would call it confusion. That's what I would call it. I would call it confusion. For those of you that lived through the 1960s with desegregation and the Vietnam Peace Movement, you've seen Kent State. Many of you remember Kent State. You want a piece of history? You know who was at Kent State? Nick Saban, he was there that day, decided to go get some food in the cafeteria when that broke out. You've seen the sexual revolution where women were marching for abortion rights. You've seen that. You, many of you in the 1960s and 70s, you saw desegregation and all the things Dr. King worked so hard to do. Oh, what I wouldn't have given to have met that man. I have studied many of his sermons. What an amazing man. Many of you lived through Vietnam protests, and many of you served in Vietnam. You saw that. And a lot of you, you've seen this kind of thing before, but I want you to know that my generation, Generation X, people born between 1965 and 1980, many people haven't seen this. I remember being my, a freshman in college where I saw the Watts riots in L.A., 
I remember that. Do you remember, remember this pictures like that where L.A. was burning? I remember that. But many in my generation haven't seen anything, especially those of you that are in your 20s and early 30s, you haven't seen anything like what you've seen in the last year or two with things like the Occupy movement where people are, are, are marching about capitalism and, and wanting and banks and overhauls. And, and even recently, we're seeing protests in the streets, like in Michigan, with people are protesting about COVID, lockdown, getting their rights back. And so many people in my generation are completely and utterly confused And many are panic-stricken, but I want to speak to a word to that. And the word that has seemed to have gripped my nation is a word of confusion. I'm going to speak plainly, and I want to stop for a second, and I want to say this to you. You know, I believe that it's really easy for a guy like me to stand up here and just talk about peace and to talk about love when peace and love are so much needed. But I want to say something to you, Christian friend. Our world, if any other time right now, we need prophets of God speaking to the country. We need prophets of God saying the word of God to the country. In every nation, in every tribe, we need people willing to speak, and I will not be silent. And if I tell the truth, I'm going to tell all of it. I'm not just going to tell portions of it. And I'm certainly not going to tell the the portions that keep me safe with the political current narratives. So I'm going to speak to it. I see confusion. And I see the intentional manufacturing of confusion. I see confusion over sexual orientation everywhere I turn. I see confusion over COVID-19. COVID-19 is real. Many of you have lost loved ones. My heart breaks for that. It is real. But I'm also angry over the media's twisting and lying about the numbers and the media spin and all of the things that I see all across our country because that is real too. I see confusion over race relations. It won't leave my country, and I don't know why, but it is real. And right now, many Christians are hurting over race, black and white and Latino and Hispanic. They're hurting, and they should be. I am brokenhearted, and I am confused, and I am hurting over what happened to George Floyd. That man was murdered, but I'm also brokenhearted over police officers who are literally being assassinated. Like the officer in Las Vegas this week who was just there helping with a riot. He was shot in the back of the head by a protester because some people in our society hate police when there are thousands of amazing law enforcement officers who are doing their best to protect our cities. There's little press coverage about that, and that angers me. I'm brokenhearted for black business owners and white business owners and Indian business owners and Asian business owners and Latino business owners, and I'm brokenhearted that they have invested their entire life savings into a small store, and they're watching their stores being burned by criminals who want to, quote, take what's ours. I don't understand that. And so in the last few days, I thought of the words of Jesus, and I put them on the screen for you. Man, how relevant is the words of our Lord. Jesus said on the Mount of Olives, I'm going to read it to you if you're listening. 
It said, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him and they said, tell us when all these things will happen and what will be the sign of your coming. In other words, they want to know when's going to be the end. And Jesus answered and he said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ, and they will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened, for those things must take place, but that's not the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. By the way, he's not talking about political kingdoms. He's talking about spiritual kingdoms. He's not just talking about geographical places. He's talking about spiritual forces and tribes and tongues and divisions. And Jesus said, for for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places, there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Like a woman, in other words, that's about to have a baby. There's symptoms of something else that's about to happen. And then he says to us, Christians, he says, they will deliver you to tribulation and they will kill you and you will be hated by by all nations because of my name. And at that time, many will fall away. Yeah, persecution separates the religious from the righteous. And they will betray one another and they will hurt and they hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and they will mislead many because lawlessness has increased. Do you feel that could be our country right now? Lawlessness has increased. Most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures, there's that word again, the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. Don't Tell me the Bible isn't relevant to everyday life. And so what I see are symptoms, birth pains, symptoms. I see symptoms of a society longing for something else than they should. I remember when Michelle had Cole, our first son. I stood in that delivery room. It was more than, I don't know, it was, wow, wow. And I remember the next day, Michelle had bruises on her collarbones and on the back of her neck, like, like, like the size of BBs, little brown and black BBs all over the back of her neck and the collarbone. And I thought, what's going on? We asked the charge nurse and she said, oh, no. She said, that, that's just busted blood vessels that come from straining so hard during delivery. I've seen it before. It was then that I realized that my wife had a strength that I had no idea and no understanding of how deep it was. But she was pushing that hard, busting blood vessels in her neck, birth pains, something else is coming. I see symptoms in a society longing and hurting for a new day, and society is on track that something is missing. Every American feels that. But the masses are off track when they think as to what the cure would be. And so I want you to listen closely to me, Christian. Should we try and end racism? Absolutely. Should we try and end hunger? Absolutely. Should we try and end child abuse? Absolutely. Should we put an end to greed? Absolutely. Should we end human trafficking? Absolutely. Should we speak out about these issues? Yes, yes, yes. These are gospel issues, and every one of them is a gospel issue. But they're not just gospel issues. They're kingdom issues. Jesus prayed. What did Jesus pray? He said, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But I want you to 
Listen to me, Christian. If we cure racism, people who die without Christ still go to hell. If we cure hunger, people who die without Christ still go to hell. If, if we cure greed and materialism, people that die without Christ, they still go to hell. If we cure human trafficking, something I've been heavily involved in to overcome, people who die without Christ still go to hell. So I have something to say to the Christians at Clearview and the Christians within the sound of my voice, anybody that might hear it anywhere in the world. Why isn't the, the church in America under persecution? Why are we not under real pressure? Why do you not see our pastors being arrested? Why do you not see Christians burned at the stake? And why do you not see Christians jailed or beaten? I believe it's because many of us in the church have learned to value personal protection over kingdom advancement. So hear me clearly, Christian. Hear me clearly. As long as Christians shake their head with heartbreak, but keep their mouths closed, people who do not know Christ will be left to chasing symptoms thinking that they are finding a cure. I want you to ponder that. As long as Christians shake their head with heartbreak, but keep their mouths closed, we are letting people chase symptoms thinking they're chasing the cure. The cure is Christ. The cure is Christ. And I don't know what it's going to take to wake up the church at Clearview. And I don't know what it's going to take to wake up the American church. People are scared to die from COVID, but we know the one who has just told us that he was dead and now he's come back to life. There are riots in the street, and yet we know the Prince of Peace. But as long as Christians shake their head with heartbreak and keep their mouths closed... People who do not know Christ will be left to chase symptoms thinking that they're finding of cure. You've got to take ownership of your faith. Of your faith. You're the light of the world. And you've got to take ownership of your church. We are the light to Franklin. We are called to reach Franklin. Just this week I looked up statistics. We live in the top 15 wealthiest counties in all of the United States. And this is what I cannot figure out no matter how hard I try. The church in the New Testament was pathetically poor financially, but they had supernatural wealth and power to move mountains and shape governments and to change cities and to change countries, and they did. The church today in America, we are wealthy financially and we can't even really change our neighborhoods. Clearview is sitting smack in the middle of wealth, insane wealth, and yet our church, by statistic, our church on average, I said on average, our church on average over the last seven years has reduced our budget by $100,000 a year. We are taking money out of the streets just to get by, and we live in the 15 top wealthiest counties in the nation. And that breaks my heart. What makes us think that God is going to honor our wealth when we refuse to honor him with it? There's protest in streets in Franklin. There's divorce in our homes. There's parents buying daughters birth control. There's men binge-watching porn. 
Just this week, I sat on my, de- on my outside patio and heard helicopters flying over downtown Franklin. There's armed police officers in every single school as if it's normal in Williamson County. What's it going to take for Christians to realize that our world is chasing symptoms? And we keep letting them chase symptoms. And as long as Christians shake their head with heartbreak but keep their mouths closed, people who die without Christ will go to hell and they'll be left to chase symptoms thinking they're finding a cure. Overcoming demands ownership. Ownership. Clearview's been through a desert wandering for about eight years. When I came to Clearview, I was our third pastor in eight years. We went through rough valleys, but those days are behind us. Those days are behind us. The wandering days need to stop. Need to stop. I really hope you're listening. Clearview cannot survive. I'm not speaking in code. Clearview cannot survive 10 more years if you do not take ownership. And so we're going to be rolling out Give Us Franklin in the next few weeks and months. Why? Because we're the light of the world, and we are the light to Franklin, and we are the light to Independence High School, and Franklin High School, and Freedom Middle School, and Centennial High School, and we're the light to Cottonwood, and Maplewood, and McKay's Mill, and Keystone, and Fieldstone Farms, and Ladd Park. We're the light to Jim Warren Park and Franklin Baseball Club. We are the light to the music industry and recording studios and artist management firms. And we are the light to HCA and Optum and Nissan. We are the light. We are the light. We have the answer. Christ is the answer. But as long as Christians shake their head with heartbreak and keep their mouths closed, people who do not know Christ will be left to chase symptoms, thinking that they're finding a cure. This is our church, and this is our time, and we must open our eyes. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed, but if if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.